This is a podcast from the Royal Court Theatre. The following content may contain strong language. Hello, this is the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast with me, Simon Stevens. Few playwrights that arrived on British stages in the last 10 years have provoked more fascination or excitement than Polly Stenham. Few writers in that time seem to have written with such frankness or drawn so apparently from their own lives to make their plays. Perhaps there's a relationship between this frankness and the heat that she's provoked, a writer for a time that is both searching an authenticity and making sense of an instinct to insist upon the validity of the individual's voice. Or perhaps it's just that however instinctive or articulate, intuitive or crafted her process might be, Polly Stenham has continued to write deeply exciting plays. She made her debut to universal acclaim in 2007 at the age of 20 here at the Royal Court with the blistering That Face. Starring Lindsay Duncan and Matt Smith, it was famously or notoriously described by Charles Spencer in the Daily Telegraph as one of the most astonishing debuts in 30 years and went on to win the Evening Standard Award for Most Promising Playwright and TMA and Critics Circle Awards. It transferred to the West End where it sold out and prompted Stenham to leave her university degree and propelled her to the nation's attention. Her second play, Tusk, Tusk, returned to the territory of the abused children of England's affluent classes, this time dramatising the world of a household of children abandoned by their parents. Taking its name from a David McKee story, it was a play scorched by comedy and tenderness as much as it was the heightened nightmare of a children's tale. My favourite play of hers to date was her third play, No Quarter. Set against the dilapidated backdrop of a fading country home, it charts the despair of the son of a woman suffering from dementia who propels himself on a journey of haunted self-destruction. 2014's Hotel at the National Theatre marked a bracing change of subject and tone, moving away from what she described as her trilogy of plays about the despair of England's rich to interrogate the political ideology of Westerners' luxury holidays in the developing world. As well as writing for theatre, she's written for cinema, co-scripting this summer's The Neon Demon with Nicholas Vanden Reffen, started directing for screen and opened a gallery, the Cobb Gallery in North London, which is also where she keeps the office she writes out of. For me, she's something of a paradox of a writer. She's often been dissected for the celebrity circles of her friendships, but her work has a ferocious excavation of the private and the afraid. She's celebrated for the incision of her insight into the social class from where she came, but is, I think, startling for the way she can build a heightened, almost expressionistic terror out of that which is perceived to be born of observation. It makes perfect sense to me that she she should be identified by van den Reffen as a potential writer of horror. Her work taps into the unreality of the children's story and the nightmare I admire her work deeply, Polly Stenham. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. That's Simon. the longest introduction I've written. That's for amazing. Any That's surreal to hear that stuff about. <laughs> well, the, um, um, I was very kind of you. Thank you. No, well, you know, I'm a big fan. I have to say that you're here in the studio with your beautiful dog Rudy, and uh, <laughs> it's sniffing just around there. <laughs> sniffing the around. Yeah. The table Producer Emily's noticed. secret stash of champagne bottles. <laughs> And um, it's going to be a constant distraction throughout this interview. Yeah, she's... If I trail off, listeners, realise that I'm trailing off in admiration of the lovely Rudy. Nine years old. Rudy Stenham. Rudy Stenham. Polly, when was the um, first time you ever went to the theatre, ever? Um, do you know what? I was, I think, so entrenched in it as a child. I couldn't remember specifically, but I could remember the first time... I really realised the effect it could have. And I, I'd go to the theatre a lot with my late father. And, you know, in the same way people would, I suppose, parents would traditionally take kids to football matches or to... It was just a thing we did together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was like a kind of hobby. And I didn't... I don't know. I didn't think too much of it. It was more of a hobby than a treat. Right. That kind of regular, yep. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I remember going to see with him, Oh, What a Lovely War. Wow. I can't remember where. I must have been like 12, mm. maybe 13. 
And I remember watching it and thinking, this is really funny. I think this is really funny. And I turned, I looked, and my dad was crying. Huh. And I remember thinking, funny's maybe not as straightforward as I thought. I don't know. It was really effective because he wasn't a man prone to emotion at all. So to see him crying, I mean, maybe saw him cry twice or three times in my entire life. Right. And this, and I sort of thought, ooh, whatever this is, this can really do something. So I think that was one of my earliest memories, really startling memories of remembering the play and remembering the moment. Do you have uh, any memory at all of which theatres he took you to? Yes. I mean, here, a lot, yeah, the court, right. a lot, the Almeida, a lot. And do you remember the Almeida was in um, King's Cross? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good then. Um, the Donmar. Yeah. Um, the Bush. So it's serious theatre. Yeah. Like, a lot of people's introduction to the theatre is through pantomime or, like, I'm, my first... Go, uh, trips to the theatre with my family were to see things like Barnum or uh, musicals at the Palace Theatre in Manchester. But for you, it was proper serious. Did some, did like some of the big shows as well for sure. Like we would always do the um, you know the big Christmas show at the National. Right. And I remember we went to see Miss Saigon once in the West End, and there was like we did the sort of shiny stuff. But he mm. was a serious man. He sort of, and I remember it was always because he was a lot older. It was an old, you know, he must have had me in his late fifties. Right. And so when we went to the theatre together, you know, I was going from the age of eight or nine mm. and, and he was really old and I was a child <laughs> and we were often the oldest and the youngest person there. <laughs> and it, it made people a bit anxious. I remember that. It maybe looked a bit weird. And I remember seeing actually, he didn't, he wasn't maybe very good at, um, he didn't really believe in censorship. He didn't think right. that you were too young for anything really. He right. sort of, he treated you like a sort of mini grown-up at all times, which was very instructive. But um, I remember we went to see a play called Caravan. Did you ever see that at the Bush? Uh, I didn't see it. I uh, Lucinda Coxon, was it Lucinda Coxon? I think Coxon? so. Oh, and it had half yeah. a caravan and right. obviously really small yeah. stage. Yeah. Really, well, you're basically on the stage. Yeah. And I remember with the oldest the youngest person there. Yeah. And I remember this really graphic sex scene <laughs> <laughs> that was like right in front of us. And I wasn't that bothered and he wasn't that bothered, but I could really feel the kind of anxiety of the audience. <laughs> of everybody going, else in the Why room. Why is that kid there with that old man? <laughs> um, but I think... I, at the time, it was just a nice thing to do, but then, obviously, now it's my job. Yeah. I realise how unbelievably helpful that was, I think, to be just exposed to it. Do you, did you ever, uh, uh, later in life, did you ever have the opportunity to ask him why he was so drawn to taking you to the theatre? Did you ever articulate it? Or was... He was He was just really passionate about it. Right. About all the he was, arts. Ab about the arts generally. Yeah, I mean, because he was he was a significant figure. At he the was ICA a sort of and, yeah. yeah. He, he was involved in the ICA and the Royal yeah. College of Art, and he was a businessman. But his, you know, I think he would have really loved to have been an artist. Right, you know? right. One of one of one of those kind of characters who just such incredible taste and such um, intelligence. That's really scratching. <laughs> um, and I think in another world he would have loved to do that, but it was I think hard growing up in like the fifties and. Different pressures weren't mm. there really, and so no, he never really explained it. But it was it was never a pressured thing. Mm. That's what was really beautiful about it. It was never. Yeah, there was no pressure to ever go into it. I think he was it very was just, surprised. It was as easy and relaxed as a walk in the park. He just did something, something like he that. wanted to share, and I yeah. think when he saw I enjoyed it, yeah, it yeah. became something we did together. Yes. So it's a it's a lovely way to have begun. It's sort of it's very dear to me that that's how my career, I suppose, germinated mm. was through something actually so precious. It's a it's a inspiring story for any father. I think it's really kind of beautiful bit of fathering. Mm. I think that because I mean, what what is sort of what are plays if they're not really ultimately about people and what people do to people? And I think mm. you can maybe maybe it is a really good way to parent or something because you can. You, you can talk the big talks in the bar yeah. afterwards, can't you? Because yeah. in a yeah. sort of organic way, because yeah. moral dilemmas come up and you sort yeah. of, you can learn a lot, I suppose. He said something smart to me once, which I've never forgotten about that kind of thing. He's like, be very careful about who you go to the theatre with. Try not to go to the theatre with someone too cynical, because they can really ruin it for you. 
And that's really stuck with me. Because mm. sometimes, you know, when you come out of a play and you're just, you know, you're really bowled over, you're really moved. It was expensive for you to watch it, in a yeah. way. And someone sort of didn't really give a shit. When I was working in the Young Writers Programme, we used to take the Young Writers groups to see everything at the mm. Royal Court. And I always thought it was indicative of the calibre of the writer, uh, their response to the plays. Because the less interesting writers would demonstrate their abilities by being cynical about what they were watching. Interesting. And the really good ones were the ones who were sometimes shy about how enthusiastic they were, but were nevertheless the most enthusiastic ones. That's really interesting. That's good advice from your dad. Yeah, I don't, I've taken it. It's, I've taken it with me because it can embarrass you. Yeah. You know, so yeah. if you if you go with somebody who sort of isn't. He thinks it's a bit silly that you burst into tears at the end, you know? There's nothing as exposing as advocacy. Yeah, very uh, true. So nothing as cowardly as cynicism. Yeah, I, I agree. It's important to be passionate, I think. When did you start writing for theatre? That phase, really. I mean, I, I came to... The, I did the Royal Court course with Leo. Mm. So the very first scene I wrote... We did the sort of exercises. Mm -hmm. But I'd never sat down and written a play. It was, that was... <laughs> Sorry, that's my... That's your phone that's, going off no, with the strangest ringtone. No, 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 that's, that's my iPod. Is it? What are you listening to? I'm actually not listening to them. Oh, it's at the bracket by the Libertines on shuffle. <laughs> oh, nice. I know, right? Retro. Blast from the past. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so let me ask the question again. Rudy, uh, I just want to clarify that was Rudy. I did Rudy just fart? Big time. <laughs> <laughs> Big time. Thanks, Rudy. Wow, Thanks, Rudy. Rudy, you're oh, a real God, presence. It's, it's really bad. Room. I'm sorry. It's awful. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh and she's so, um, a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, go on. When did I first start writing for theatre? Um, you, when yeah, you were working with Leo Butler? Yeah, so I wanted to write... It didn't occur to me to write plays... Really, I always wanted had to you write. Written, had you written other stuff? Had you written another forms? I'd written, forms? you know, your, your classic, terrible teenage poetry, and I'd sort of started about nine novels. Yeah. And I was, I'd always... I knew from what I age? What age were you writing for fun or writing for yourself? About sort of six or seven. I was like... I, thought, I, right. I knew I wanted to write really early. Yeah. Or slash be a vet. <laughs> right. In <laughs> many ways, you're combining <laughs> your interests here this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Rudy's come around to my side now. She's yeah, she's she's me. unhappy about how mean you are about her farting. Yeah, well, the, um, you, um, so you started writing from as, as as early as you can remember. Then, yeah, in that sense, yeah. yeah. And I, 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 I sort of, I would like co-write with Daisy, my sister, on trains and long journeys, and yeah. then try and control the plot. Mm. It's that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and I wanted to write. When I was about 19, I was like, oh, I want to really try and write something properly now. Mm. And um, and I looked for a course to write a novel. I thought there might be, like, a novel writing course. And there wasn't. I'd never, ever connected the two in my mind, like the love of the writing and the love of plays. It didn't occur to me right. at all. I'd often seen plays and thought, God, the idea of writing plays seemed very abstract to me. I didn't really think of them as like a literary form. I Even though you were surrounded event. by new writing yeah. because your dad would take you to the bush and here and yeah. other places where they do new plays. And yeah. I didn't, I don't know, I didn't connect the dots. Yeah. And then I heard about the course. And mm. I was like, oh, I'll just, it was really off the cuff. I was like, oh, I'll just apply, you know, I'll apply. And then um, there was no sort of, uh, you, at that point, I think now you do have to send in something. But then it was a sort of first come, first serve thing. So got, yeah. got in and... and um, and I remember thinking, God, a lot of people want to do this. And I found that very galvanising. And also the sense, like... Galvanising in what way? The sense that it was possible. Yeah. It seemed really abstract. You know, you'd see a play, but I couldn't really imagine that someone would sit down and write a play. Right. In the same way, you, you sort of culturally, you imagine people writing novels. Yeah. You, you see films where people are writing novels. Yeah. You don't see so many... It's not as ingrained, the idea of a playwright. Yeah. Perhaps, or it hadn't been to me. Mm-hmm. And um, the idea of the director is, the actor is. Yeah. But I'd never really thought of the person behind it who's writing it. Yeah. And and then I, yeah, and then we sort of did some exercises and that broke down the initial weirdness of writing dialogue. Because it's weird. It's embarrassing and weird at first. <laughs> that first sort of thing where you're like, oh, this doesn't sound like someone would really say this. And once that had kind of clicked, after the course was over, I still did, wasn't thinking seriously about doing it. Um... 
I remember at the end, it, they were like, look, if you write your play, the sentence was, if you write your play, we promise we'll read it. Right. And that was the difference. Yeah. I think if no one had said that, yeah. this is why the Royal Court is so important. Yeah. I, if someone hadn't said that, if Leo hadn't said, we promise we'll read it, if you write it, I wouldn't have bothered. What, did, I, Leo, what did Leo give you as a teacher? Such compassion. He's, I think, such a... He's such a kind man. He's like mm -hmm. a really deeply human person. Mm -hmm. I think I think I thought Boy at the Almeida was just exceptional. Mm. His recent play. I think a sort of gentleness, a stillness. Yeah. Did he teach he was you inspiring. technique as well? Yeah. Okay. To be honest, I can't remember a huge amount of the detail right. of the course yeah. now. Yeah. But I can remember I remember that when I left I remember that I'd started it just kind of to see. And I left it and I decided to write a play. Mm. So whatever exactly happened in the middle worked. What were you like at school? What do you... <laughs> at, no, I'm just really in, interested in your schooling because you went to proper public yeah, schools. Yeah, I it's did. It's such a fascinating world to me because it's so different to what I went to. It's a, it's a, it's a very strange world. In what um, ways is it strange? You oh, went to uh, Wickham, Abbey, Wickham Abbey in rugby. rugby. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was I like at school? I got expelled from school. Did I got you? expelled from a Kamabi. What were you expelled for? <laughs> um, having a relationship <laughs> with another girl and smoking lots of weed. <laughs> Did you hear that, Rudy? Yeah, that Rudy. <laughs> when I was about 15. Um, right. But it was actually an exceptionally strict school. Mm. I bet you wouldn't get in trouble in the same way now. Right. Actually. Did you enjoy it? Was there anything you enjoyed about it? Wickham Abbey, the first one, was super academic, all girls. Yeah. Um, it gave you great work ethic. Right. I mean, you they, they it was you were really brilliantly taught. Like the facilities were amazing. Um, the were teachers you... were brilliant. It was very, very like you were you were really. It was very sort of feminist. It was really yeah. academic, and you were sort of told. It gave you, I don't know, a sense a certain sense of entitlement is schooled into you at schools like that, which is good and it's bad. Mm -hmm. But it certainly gives you a sort of confidence, I suppose. Which is which has been useful, definitely. I'm interested in how people who are writers uh, exist in contexts like that because sometimes the gesture of being a writer in school can be an act of defiance, or sometimes mm. it can be something that's celebrated and encouraged. I think behind every writer, there's probably a really good English teacher somewhere. You know, I <laughs> yeah, do. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. completely. And I, I'll never forget my teacher, Miss Platt. I have no idea what happened to her. Um, I think she left. I tried to track her down once, and I think she's gone to the church or become a kind oh. of something quite serious. Right. Um, but I remember, we, you know, when you'd write your short story compositions and things, yeah. your creative writing compositions, I remember on the back of one of those, I remember it so well, she wrote, no, you must write. And I remember mm. that that was such a moment. It's those little leaps of faith, isn't it, that mm. really set you on that journey, I guess. Mm. But I think school was... I actually think for being an observer of character, it was interesting because you're you're living twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, yeah. in you know communal rooms yeah. like, with up to eleven other people you're sharing a room with, yeah. getting dressed in front of each other, brushing your teeth, going to sleep, all the stuff yeah. with people you haven't chosen to live with of yeah. all ages. I mean, definitely quite a limited social, economic. So, yeah, yeah, and could, it's pretty narrow economic kind of group of people but aside from that within that yeah you're getting all kinds of people yes all kinds of characters certainly yeah. if not definitely not all kinds of class sadly yeah. but and i think that was very interesting i think it makes you quite tolerant because you you kind of have to get on with most types of character right because otherwise your life's going to be hell yeah but yeah i don't know i and then my second school rugby was um was more fun, it was mixed, and I was there for sixth form. That was, I was but, a bit more chilled out. But you were writing uh, poetry at the time. Yeah, And lyrics. starting novels and writing lyrics. Lots of lyrics. <laughs> Which lyricists were you, uh, were you inspired by? Oh, I love the Smashing Pumpkins. Pete Doherty on your oh, iPod no. still Cringe. now. Yeah, Cringe. so Smashing... Yeah. Smashing Pumpkins, Radiohead, all that kind of thing. I was, right. I was quite kind of emo. <laughs> quite sort of, a bit gothy. <laughs> The, um, but so it's, it's a fascinating, uh, it's an unusual combination to have a love of theatre ingrained from such a young age mm. and an instinct to write, but not have put the two together 
especially yeah. because, because you were going to new plays. I know. I just, I didn't, it was never, it was just never something, I just, it didn't cross my mind, but I think that was probably a really good thing So that because there was yeah. a like, glorious innocence to that face, yes. which, and I'm sure every playwright feels this with their like first success, where yeah. you're like constantly like, how and I mean, how was I that innocent of it all? Yeah, because it's just pure instinct mm -hmm. when you're doing your first thing, and I and I genuinely had no agenda with it. I didn't have any plan. I just was like, I'll just give it a go because someone at the court, because Leo had said, if you write it, we will read it. So Do you I, remember the writing of that face? Yes, a bit. I remember being in a library at Goldsmiths. I was visiting a, a mate, and I remember being at Goldsmiths. I'm in the library, just hanging out. And I remember thinking. You know, like I could just write a play. Why don't I just write a play? They mm. said that, you know, and it was a really split decision. I was like, no, no, I'm just going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember writing down the name Henry on a bit of paper. I was like, oh, I think I'll call someone in it Henry. Mm. And then it kind of, it didn't take very long. And I, I mean, I, I by no means. You started the course at the court by this stage, had you? It was after the course. Right, it was after, it was after the course. course. Yeah. And it, I mean, I find writing much, much harder now, and plays take me a really long time, and I right. redraft furiously, and it's. Yeah. You know, if anything, they become increasingly difficult. So I'm sort of retrospectively fascinated by how sort of innocent it was. Yeah. Did they give you a deadline? So were you writing? No. It was just. It was just. If you. It wasn't. They weren't in any way sort of soliciting it. They just sort of said, right. "If you write, if it, you we'll write a play, it. yeah, and you send it here, we promise we'll read it." Right. And that was enough. Yeah. That and was how, just enough. How long enough. did it take you from ending the course to delivering the play? I think about four months. And I was doing. I didn't really tell anyone I was doing it. I just yeah. sort of was squirrelling away on it, and it just sort of. And I realised I enjoyed it. Did you plan it, or were you just really exploring in the moment moment of writing? I think that on some. I think there was a big sort of subconscious force going on in it. Yeah. Not to be so sort of Freudian, but I think there was obviously a big drive behind it, and I couldn't. It just. It just came very quickly. And, but then I remember the first version of it was all set at, the play is in its, you know, final form was yep. is set in, you know, three or four scenes are set in a, a flat, in a bedroom, yep. in, a, in the mother and the son's flat. Yep. And then the rest are set in, the, in locations outside. So mm -hmm. it was an open time, open space. Mm -hmm. And initially I was really into kind of like full on like promenade theater at the time. And I, love, I loved it when you're kind of having to like crawl into someone's bedroom. Right. And, and so the first version of it was, there were no scenes outside. I remember okay. that. And it was very, and I was very keen on the idea that you, you had to come into this flat basically mm -hmm. and move the, you know, stink of perfume and kind cigarettes. Immersive and, experience. Well, yeah, it was immersive. And yeah. it was, I mean, <laughs> that version of that face would be <laughs> really full on. <laughs> I mean, unbearably full yeah. on, I think. Um, and then when the play, so I sent the play and I didn't hear anything for sort of six months even. I just, I didn't, I didn't literally, didn't think anything was going to happen. And well, then, you're at university at this stage. Yeah, I was at UCL. Yeah. Doing English. Doing English, yeah. And then they, and then, they called me up and they said I'd been shortlisted for the Young Writers Festival. Right. Um, but would I come in and would we do a workshop uh -huh. to workshop the play? And I was like, yeah, that's absolutely brilliant. Let's mm. do that. That's great. Came in and I was working with the very talented Lindsay Turner. Mm -hmm. And she was like really the first person I ever worked properly on a script with. And right. she was just brilliant. I think she's amazing. Yeah. And I was actually really fortuitous to get her at that moment, I think, because she's a very good dramaturg and teacher, among mm. other things. Mm. And I think was used to working with young people at this time I was 19. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it was her who said, you know, just op try opening it up right. in between the scenes. And then that's what became the play. And then it got... Um, and then it was, that, it was that draft that kind of made it actually work. And then, then it went on proper. The, um, at the time of its reception, it'd be great to talk to you about its reception mm. and, and how it was received and, and other things, but... Um, one of the things that was uh, people commented on was that you were writing about a world that was rarely seen on this particular stage at the Royal Court. Mm -hmm. uh, it coincided with Dominic Cook, uh, is often misquoted early press conference saying that he was looking to put the lives of the middle class on the stage after mm. years of the theatre examining the working class. Was that conscious for you, or were you just what? How that, did you choose the world of the play? 
There was a degree of consciousness in that. I do remember seeing a lot of work here. Right. That was brilliant, you know, really, really good. But I remember, I mean, the world I had, the boarding schools I'd been at, and and you know, when you're living, like I said earlier, when you're living with a group of people, you. I remember thinking, God, there's some really nasty stuff going on, and and people don't really notice because the pashmina's thrown around it on sports day. There's a lot. There's a lot people are getting away with here because yeah. of money. Yeah. Well, that isn't being noticed. I don't know. It was mm. inter- and that in- interested me. Mm. And I remember thinking when I did sit down to write it, I was like, there was an element of sort of wanting to show that. I think. Yeah. That makes sense. That the action of the play was. Too yeah. That I wa- I, d- I wasn't or... really seeing stuff about the kind of. It's such a posh area here. You right, know? It's, yeah. It, it was very counter-cultural originally, but, I mean, it's, like, opposite fucking Hugo Boss. So it's, it's, I, I heard once it's the most expensive real estate in the world. I don't know if that's I wouldn't be true, surprised. Kind of and it used to be punk, was, you know, yeah. it used to be all of that. And and it's, like, the last kind of thing of that, apart from mm. the world's end, right the other end, Yeah. left. But I did think there was something a bit... You've got to tread carefully here, but... I don't know, something a little bit pornographic and smug sometimes yeah. Yeah. about the audience versus the material. I remember that very vividly. I remember yeah. watching my play country music here just after it had a really good review in the in the Telegraph mm. uh, and coming in that night and seeing an audience full of Telegraph readers yeah. watching a play about a, a, a car thief from Gravesend who becomes a killer and thinking, this is pornographic. Yeah. We're objectifying his, his life. Yeah. And I felt really guilty about that. I can that. completely understand that. It was only when we played it in Wandsworth Prison that it felt as though it had found a, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of ha- had a happier yeah. relationship with its audience, really. But it's interesting, that whole concept, I think, of, like, does the space matter? Do the people watching it matter? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I think it does. Yeah. It does. It, it, it is political. It, it's a political art. Yeah. And... Necessarily, yeah. Yeah, and that's very necessarily. Yeah. And, I mean, it's reception, what... Well, first, no, how were you in rehearsal? If working with Lindsay for the first time was was an education, and she is yeah. brilliant, what was it like working with Jeremy Heron, working with Lindsay Duncan, working with Matt Smith, working with that... The rest, that cast was brilliant. Felicity Jones. Yeah, yeah, Felicity Jones, of course. I mean, it was an absolute racehorse kind of sort of thoroughbred cast situation. Yeah. You know, like, I didn't... I, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I was just, like, coming down to rehearsals from, like, my student house in Dalston in my, like, beanie. And I remember, like, Flick and Matt thought I was playing Izzy at the, mm. the beginning. They thought I was an act, one of the actresses. Right. And it was just... I, I didn't have anything to compare it to, but I remember thinking, God, I really like this. Yeah. This is great. And And Jeremy... And we then did two more plays together as, you know, a really good friend and amazing yeah. collaborator. And that just clicked. I mean, it was one of it was one of those situations that was just there was a lot of luck. A lot. There was a lot of luck. You know, the timing was lucky. That mm-hmm. play five years before or five years after would not have had the impact it had. Mm-hmm. But, you know, colliding with Dominic in the way I did, mm. you know, being put with Jeremy. And Jeremy had been working out of town for years. Yeah. Dominic very shrewdly, I think, sort of had spent a bit of time with me, knew Jeremy very well, just sort of saw that that would work. Yeah. And that was... I, I think that kind of connection's quite rare. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, you look at what Matt and Flick particularly have gone on to do now. Yeah. I mean, they were sort of in their early 20s. And, yeah. And someone like Lindsay playing your... It was just... It was one of those moments where everything kind of came together in a way that was extremely fortunate. Mm. And... But I loved it. I loved the... I love the kind of subversiveness of it. I love the scruffy rehearsal room. I loved how you got involved. I loved, you know, the markings on the floor and the, the read-throughs and just the like the kit of it all. <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed that. I loved that like the set was made sort of, you know, you could have your fag in the alleyway and you would see like sticking all that like building the set. Yeah. I love the way it felt. You know, it feels like a giant ship here. Yeah. Like, I'd gone to the course in the rehearsal room I was rehearsing. Yeah. The play, you know, we'd auditioned in here. The play was being built here. It was going to go on here. It felt like a kingdom. 
Yeah. And that I really, really liked. I, I'm not a patient person. I find the film world really frustrating. I don't like the phone calls and the conferences and the, the hooing and the hiring and the, like the big chats and the. Yeah. It just it's you know it's a ball ache, but with it felt really immediate and it felt I, I've a huge really love music mm. and live art generally and lo- mm. anything live mm. and I found that sort of you know that it's just going to go on it's really going to happen yeah. it just felt like every night when it was on it really happened something, yeah, hap- I, something actually happening yeah, in the room yeah it's happening like yeah. this is happening people are watching it you're really there it's yeah. like and I, I probably repeat this quite a lot when doing the odd talk like this but mm. I do I really believe it I believe it is sort of like a story gig it is sort of, it's like a live story. It's the equivalent of someone with a pen, like with a guitar, doing it right in front of you. Right. And I find the risk associated, you know, like that it can fuck up mm-hmm. or that, you know, like sometimes Matt would do it differently mm-hmm. in ways that were both brilliant and sometimes frustrating, but I like not knowing. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. So I really, I, it, suddenly I was like, oh, I really like this. This feels right. And the reception was extraordinary. Well, actually, I remember the first review wasn't that good. Right. I remember I didn't, again, it never, obviously it was so my very, very much my first time at the rodeo, so I didn't, every time something happened, I was just so thrilled. So, yeah. and I remember Jeremy was getting the first review, I think it was maybe the Evening Standard or something, and it was kind of mediocre. And I remember Jeremy going, oh, well. And then, <laughs> then, a load, but then a load of really, really good ones came in. And that, and then something, then you, it felt like something was kind of happening. Yeah. Um, how how did that feel? I remember when we did the first read through with the tech team, and so it was the first we'd done like a work, a sort of readingy thing before, but it was you know with the actual all the production staff and us, and we did the read through. I remember at the end of the read through, I'd been making notes. I kind of looked up, and so many people were crying, and I remember feeling this really weird mixture of sort of. I feel like bad that they're crying. You know, I feel like I've made people cry, and this is sad. And oh God, and oh, and then part of me being like, yeah, I made you cry. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was this really like kind of strange, sort of like Janus-faced reaction where I felt worried but really excited by the power of it. Yeah. And and then I remember then watching it upstairs at the court. There was I remember lots of people would sit and they wouldn't move for quite a long time yeah. after the play. Yeah. And the people were really upset by it. And and that, again, had this really conflicting reaction. But what was nice, I guess, about then as well, I was able to go really sort of... I just sort of would ask people. I would sort of hang around. I was... No mm-hmm. one had... No one had clocked that I'd written it. So mm-hmm. I was... Could I kind of, like, gauge what was going on? And I'd ask people whether they enjoyed it. And I sort of felt... I don't know quite voyeuristic about... Mm-hmm. I was watching people watch it quite a lot towards the end, which was very instructive. Did you go every night? No, 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 no. Uh-huh. But f- quite a few times. And then there's the... As well as being the reception, the audience, and that electricity and mm. the shock, the power of that, mm. there was the uh, the public reception where suddenly... I mean, you did kind of become a thing. Mm. Like, it was... It was, it was in, in my kind of adult lifetime, it's rare to see a playwright celebrated so quickly mm. uh, and I'm interested in you know you look at the Charlie Spencer quote I remember reading that and thinking it's an, a generous and brilliant thing to write and, is, and wondering if there's a degree to which it was also a hex or not and I'm interested mm. in what it was for you to get reviews like that to get the awards as well and that p- level of public attention I think I mean, having your play on a 21 in the way, I mean, that was like, I'm not going to lie, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Like, you know, it was <laughs> yeah. it was fun. It was... And the West End as well is, I remember the first time I had a play in the West End. It's a whole... F- it's just like, this shabat. is different. This yeah, is different this to is having like, a play in the theatre upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is <laughs> yeah. like a whole... This is all like, and they get you allowed to go to all the members clubs and you're just like <laughs> rolling around town. I mean, it was, it was really, really fun. I mean, it was heady. It was very heady and, you know, my... My father had just died, sadly, and I was mm. sort of... It was quite a tumultuous time in my life. It all kind of all happened at once. And I kind of look back, you know, at the time, you're like, oh, I'm 21, I've got this. And did I you looked, get to see it? Did you no. like it? No. No, no, no. And I look, I look back and I was like, actually, Christ, that, that was... that. Actually, a lot was happening then, and it's, you know, you, you know, I sort of look... My perception of myself 
at the time and my perception of myself aged 30 looking at me aged 21 running up and down St Martin's Lane um, is slightly mm. different as it probably should be but um, <laughs> I think how I react I was, so, I was aware I was like shit <laughs> This is a this is this is not this is beyond my wildest dreams yeah. already. Yeah. This is quite scarily beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. I'd better fucking write another one now. <laughs> and I and I did. That's what I did. I was like, I know I have got to just I've just gotta keep working. And so I did. Yeah. I and that was in a way, it was scary. But every I try said I remember I made a sort of pact with myself. I was like, every time you get paranoid about this. Instead of being paranoid, why don't you write? Yeah. And I sort of, so I sort yeah. of wrote myself out of it. And I was lucky in a sense. And I had like a false start. I wrote a kind of a very, very heightened, very sort of impossible to produce sort of outline for a play between that face and Tusk Tusk. Yeah. That uh, someone at the court was very kind and sort of said, "Look, you know, this isn't even theatre. I don't even know." What I wanted like a, <laughs> I, I was, I got a bit ahead of myself. Have you still was, got it? Have you still I got that somewhere. outline? It was called Crocodile Kingdom. And it, it what, I, there was like a live river in it. I don't even Fantastic. know what I, I. It was really kind of gothic and mental. But it out. didn't really work <laughs> one day. Um, I, and and then I remember thinking, but that was really good. And I remember someone really kindly saying, that, "Look, like, I think you've got to try and think about like a stage, an actual stage." And then that's when I got the idea for Toss Toss. When I was like, and I'd been drawing these three girl, uh, the two boys and a girl. I'd been drawing this kind of configuration of children. In the rehearsal sketchbook of that face, I always had sketchbooks and rehearsals, and it was really eerie. And they were just there, and I was like, okay, because there were three, there were th- similar age characters in, you know, <laughs> Crocodile Kingdom. Just can I just stop you? I'm really interested Sorry. in that. You take a sketchbook into rehearsals yeah. with you, and what you're so, so you're your pictorial art is important to you. I. Very uh, less so. I do it a little less now what were you because in- I think my work has actually become probably more structurally complicated. Right. So, so now I make you- more notes. Yeah. So so what would you, in those days? What did those you do days, with the pictures? I ju- I just I would well actually from a quite a young age I would draw these really weird. My mates always called them um, hids. Right. Which these weird like line faces that I yeah. draw over and over and I draw them when I was like trying not to smoke. Yeah. which was quite a lot of the time, yeah. or quite sort of stressed, or trying to, like, th- concentrate without getting fidgety. Yeah. And so in rehearsals, I would be, just be drawing quite a lot, either on the script or in the sketchbook, or and just wow. sort of... And it, towards the end of that face, and I can, with a bit of distance, I can sort of see, because that face ends with a brother and a sister alone on stage. Yeah. And then... Tustus begins with a brother and a sister on stage, wow. and I was, and then the, and the very little boy in Tustus Cube Seven, Finn, that character, and they just sort of arrived. It was weird. So tell me about the writing of Tustus. It started with that sketch, it and this stage image. Sketch. Somebody here saying, "Imagine it on a stage, rather than this wild imagination with rivers and." Yeah, this configuration yeah. of these children. Um, of yeah, a sort of a fifteen-year-old, a fourteen-year-old, and a sort of seven-year-old that mm. was very strong that was just like there mm. right away and then and they're sort of paying parents to their sibling that felt the dynamic and and then i just really really st- crocodile kingdom was kind of completely mental and all about the special <laughs> effects <laughs> but the configuration stayed and when someone kindly said you know like just really imagine on stage i was like all right then Let's go like minimal. Yeah. So Tusk Tusk is in one room um, over the course of sort of, I think the play takes place over like a month, but it's one room and it's, I think it's eight scenes. How long, how long did you take, do you remember how long it took you to write that? It took about two years. So it was a two year, right? It was a two year, yeah, it was. All the the paranoia, the excitement, the the extraordinary kind of like whirlwind Mm. of post that face, post the awards, post Mm. the West End. Well, I was writing it during... Well, Crocodile Kingdom and yeah. and Tustus during it being on in the West End. So yeah. it, uh, Tustus was on when I was 22. Right. Or 23. Right. 22, 23. One of them. Um, and, you know, everyone did that whole second album syndrome. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And people, you know, you like... Did you feel that in the writing? Did you feel being... Do you feel as though you were being watched? 
as though Charlie Spencer was <laughs> over your I, shoulder, going, "You know what I said about you." I th I felt. I think I felt. I knew. I knew it was. I knew it was dangerous to to stop. I knew that I just had to keep working. Yeah. And I thought that perhaps you know if I some the deal I made with myself if I was starting to think too much about it to just stop and write because when you're writing, as I'm sure you yourself experience, when you're writing and it's working and you're absorbed, it's like you're just in suspended in the air or something like yeah. no, you're not you don't know what time it is you're like you're just so in it it's mm. the best feeling mm. and so in a way i was writing to i suppose counter that anxiety so maybe the anxiety was actually a really good motor yeah um and i yeah but it was two years and it was it was hard you know because it wasn't as easy by any means yeah. and you know i remember we had like a reading and me and jeremy sort of thought it was brilliant and the reading was terrible. And we were like, right. why is it terrible? I remember we went for this pint and we were like, I think a bit sort of jacked up on how great that face had been. And we were like, we just sort of thought it would be easier. And, but that was really good. That was a really good knock on the ego. It was were really you, good to Were be you reminded. able to articulate the problems with the first draft of it then? Because it's a really hard thing. Yeah. To, you know, I always think it's one of the hardest things for any artist to do, but certainly for playwrights to do, is to honestly assess the calibre of their own work. You're so close and to it. There's nothing as dislocating as kind of thinking you've written something that's good. Mm. And then you have the experience of it being embodied by actors yeah, and you realise it's not. I mean, it can, yeah. go, it can go the other way yeah. when you're working yeah. with the actors you've Much worked with. That way. <laughs> yeah. You can get away with all kinds of things. But, was, yeah, how were you able to respond rationally to that? I think retrospectively, I can sort of see that I I, th I had these characters and I had, you know, and I knew that they were, I knew it was a play about fear and I knew it was a play about missing somebody and I knew yep. I knew it was, and it's interesting what you say and said so kindly in the introduction about horror, mm. you know, it was it was a scary play. And, da and all David McKee's books, which the title is from a David McKee book. No, yeah. it's not. I was going to point you out that. I what? thought it was because he wrote a thing. What? What? He wrote a, a, a book called Tusk Tusk. David oh. McKee, who wrote the brilliant Not Now Bernard. That's really <laughs> interesting because as you said that, I was like, I'm going to wait and see what you mean because actually Tusk Tusk came from the line, the character Elliot, whose nickname is Ellie. In yeah. It. There's a line where his mother, who's absent throughout the whole play, yeah. reconfigures the song Nellie the Elephant to Ellie the Elephant and oh, that becomes this kind of like refrain to that. and then apologize. no 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 it's no no it's super subtle it's yeah. so weird. everyone thinks it's because of shh, shh right like, that's what it means yeah. but interesting there's another thing named after named it's a McKee book about two elephants as well is it he must have taken it from Nellie the Elephant as well yeah I think it Ellie the Elephant Nellie the Elephant so it's a lot I mean there's, there are in all three but of it's those, a thing like yeah go on tuss, tuss, like yeah like shh tsk it's like a thing, isn't it? Definitely people have always told me it's a, like that's how you spell yeah. someone being like, be quiet, which had never but occurred to me. But without the U, I would yeah. say without the U, the TSK. But mine has come from also the idea of like the elephant in the room. And yeah. then I remember writing it down and really did something felt very childlike about the repeat of yeah. it. Yeah. And then how the typography looked, I really liked the like. So yeah, it was a really sort of abstract title. came, came late. Mm. You talked about the three rule court plays mm. <clears throat> the, the third one being no quarter yep. which i really loved because <laughs> we we knew each other at the time and yeah. we we kind of had a couple of conversations about yeah, it yeah you were extraordinarily helpful in that process because i was really losing my shit around no quarter actually i think i probably had second album syndrome around no quarter right because tostas then went on to do again really well yeah. which was yeah a huge surprise i was fully expecting the critics to going to come for me because it was really similar territory it was practically a companion piece yeah and I was sort of like, shit, okay, this is going to run out. And it yeah. did, <laughs> yeah. as it always does. But, and then I remember, I mean, No Quarter took four years to write. Yeah. And was at one point like a drum and bass musical. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was the, it was, it was like seven, it took so long to get to what it was. And I was, and the court, I remember at one point we're just like, look, this is, this is not working. Right. And I was just, Devastated, and that's why I sent it to you, and you mm -hmm. were terribly kind, and actually deeply gave me the courage to continue working on it. The um, you've spoken about those plays as being a trilogy. I read an interview in which you said you it would be a trilogy that you would call Milk. 
Yeah. <laughs> was that a joke for an interview, or do you think of them as belonging together in some way? I think I do. I think there's a Kings of Leon song that I love. Yeah, I know that Kings of Leon. That song, Milk. Yeah, and yeah. that played, was the last song at the end of That Face. Yeah. I think that song is just amazing. I think mm-hmm. it's so, so sad, that song. Mm-hmm. And and I that always played on my mind, and I sort of thought if I ever did... Yeah, I feel that they are a trilogy. In some way. In what in a, sense in, are they connected? I think they're about sort of mother is a monster, the mother is missing, and the mother is a ghost. Yeah. They're kind of about the three stages of a per, of a, of the impact of somebody in your life, I guess. Mm. And I think that they all have very well male, young male characters in. Yeah. Which is how to which tend until recently to be our protagonists. Mm. Um, that have a similar something they feel they feel like they belong together in some way can you identify what that similar thing is the male protagonist of a similar sort of sort of vicious sensitivity right as it were yeah yeah i think that's it and that tension between the savagery and the sensitivity yeah i think that all i think sort of it's henry and elliot and robin yeah are the three i think there is you know if you line them up there's something that's similar. Why do you think you were drawn to writing male protagonists? I think, well, you always, it's more fun, isn't it, if you get to shapeshift a bit in your writing. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know, I think... Somebody said uh, about my plays once, she said uh, that I write uh, um, female characters who I wished existed in real life so that I could hang out with them. That's amazing. That's amazing. That is brilliant. That's a, that's a compliment, I think. Yeah, I think so. But yeah. there's something about that with characters, isn't it? You kind of we yeah. spend time with these people. You spend four years. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you get you get really, in, in it's very sort of ghostly and quite. I remember, you know, I would go into sort of really heightened, kind of quite method states. Yeah. Where I'd sort of go out on my own, and I remember once going to a sort of. I was about 24, 25, and I was writing No Quarter, and I remember I would really short hair at the time, and I remember I sort of pretended to be him. I went to this sort of boy-gay bar in the day, so it was sort of safe. Mm. And I could have probably just, in a dimly lit room, got away with being a kind of boy-ish. Mm. And I sort of had conversations as with these like, cr- yeah. men cruising as Robin, and I loved it. Mm. And then, yeah, you know, it was it would have been stupid to have done it later at night or whatever, or to have taken it further. But I remember thinking, like, you can really bend your own mind with this stuff. I got... And sort of thinking you see them places. I don't know, when, the, when, the, when your imagination's really cooking like that... Yeah. ..you can kind of enjoy how far it can take you. Yes. Um, so, yes, yeah, so not to, you know, really, really spending time with... Yeah. ..the people. And then, of course, you... You then sort of share the soul of this character with an actor, and yeah. that's brilliant but intense. I mean, I've had huge arguments with. What are your relationships with actors like? Close. I mean, I'm really, really close friends with everyone. I, most most of the people I've worked with, mm. particularly, I mean, Matt and Toby and Tom are like three of my best mates. Yeah. I'm really close friends, and they played the leads. Yeah. And then you know, Belle and Flick, and yeah, yeah, like, and Lindsay's. A, Really and Lindsay, friends. you worked with a few times, didn't you? Yeah, we. Oh, yes, we. She was in a short I did, and yeah. we, you know, remained really good mates. And it's bonding, isn't it? I mean, you're really, you're getting, you like make the skeleton, and then someone's got to go there for you. So when you're writing No Quarter, did you do you imagine the actor playing the role? Do you are you writing for actors? Do you write for actors? Sometimes. Yeah. But it's weird. Do you find it's like people are always like, "What do you see in your head when you're doing it?" Yeah, I'm, I'm like, interested in this with you. It's it's like a weird like I'm kind of I'm like I'm aware it's a stage. Yeah. Like it doesn't look like a film. It doesn't look real. And specifically, it's is it scene, or is it the stage that's commissioned you? Is yeah, it like the Royal Court like, stage? Roughly, it's the stage. Yeah. But I'm on like in my mind, I'm kind of head cam. I <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm kind of the character looking at the other character. They're like. It's weird. It's I know it's a stage, but it looks real. Yeah. It's a really weird combo of realism and the fact you know it's theatre. And then if I'm thinking about a scene that maybe doesn't happen, 
I suppose, yeah, my mindscape is a stage, and then if they walk out of the stage into what I perceive as the real world, in my mind that looks real. <laughs> so, like, I'm writing something set in a desert, in a house in a desert at the moment, and so they're, when I imagine them on stage, I'm like, oh, they're on stage at the Almeida, there's an audience, but I'm on their head cam. And then uh. when a character walks out and I stay with that character in my mind, the sort of, the wings of the Almeida become the desert. So it's this mm. mad collage of, like... What you would perceive to be a, a real environment and not. I'm really it's fascinated. Hard to explain. I'm, no, I think you explained it really clearly. I'm really fascinated by the note that uh, your second play, that the unfinished play, was was implausible. And yeah. one, because what I was going to ask you was whether you've been encouraged to return to worlds that you've written about. So you know, with Hotel, there was a there was a certain amount of kind of like, why isn't she writing about? Sad public school kids who are yeah. killing themselves on booze and drugs yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Did you find that, or, well, or I think interestingly, I, I just the the new edition of Hotel's just been published. So with it, it's been a lot on my mind. Yeah, and I had to sift through the reviews um, with um, my publisher to choose what, if anything, to put on the back of it. So that was kind of interesting to revisit it when you're feeling less hot about it. Yeah, and I found. Hotel was a very stressful process for me because it ended up getting yanked forward six months. Yeah. Do you remember I, I actually yeah. sort of advice from you about that as well? And so it was weird, you know, plays had taken a really long time, my last play taking four years to sort of conceive and to go on, and then suddenly this thing I'd written literally was on in six months. So yeah. it was very... It was all a bit a bit of a ride, and it was very different material for me, and it was an extremely violent play as yeah. well. I mean, it was yeah. lots of... Discontinued AK forty seven and blood packs and it was all, which I loved. I mean that was fantastic. Um, but the tie between the family unit and then the sort of politics I was writing about, I think actually retrospectively is really obvious. It's yeah. It's 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 about it became you and I deliberately set up hotel to seem exactly like something I'd normally do. Yeah. In the sense it's a sort of posh family yeah. having a kind of crisis in a luxury hotel. Yeah. And and suddenly the kind of the world charges in. So it's interrogating similar territory from a different perspective. It's interrogating the idea of responsibility on a slightly more political scale. And it's also it's a slightly more metaphorical play in a sense. Mm. You know, the set kind of started collapsing and it wasn't as literal as mm -hmm. what I'd written before, mm -hmm. which felt exciting. And um, I did enjoy all the stunty guns and smoke. <laughs> and that was really fun. How English are you as a writer? I would actually say I might maybe more and my 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 sort of favourite playwright in the world is Tennessee Williams. So like, you're more informed yeah. by American plays. I, I would say so. Yeah. I feel that I'm n not that res. I feel. Well, it's so I mean it's tricky, isn't it? Because it's a really, it's a very broad generalisation. But mm. I think English plays sometimes are more intellectual, perhaps. And you're writing more... I think I'm maybe a bit more of an emotional writer. Right. What's your working day like? Me and my sister were having a long conversation about this today. And, and you we... write in your gallery, sorry, just to... Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, where I've do got... you write? You write... I've got a studio. Yeah. Out, there's, a, there's a large studio space out the back of the gallery and we've got sort of painters and yeah. we've got a stylist and we've got a kind of bunch of people working there. Mm -hmm. And then me and my sister share a space at the back and... But at the moment, I kind of write on a hoof quite a lot. So that would be, that is sort of 70% of the time I'm writing there. And I've yep. got a big blackboard and Rudy comes. And we just, <laughs> we do it. And it's really good to be, you know, everyone else is working. It's messy and it's paint everywhere. And your mates are there. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a place. It's, you feel like you're going to work. And you, you, feel, you feel like you're building something. Right. It doesn't feel so cerebral. You're like, I'm here. I'm just, it's, it's messy. And we're, we're making a thing with our hands. It kind of reminds me of the way you talk about the Royal Court. As yeah, well. and the even the way you talk about being in the dorm at boarding school, yeah, so it's that same kind of gang mentality. Yeah, or kind of, I like yeah. a gang, a gang mentality. Yeah, um, um, but at the moment, but it depends what and you must find this so much yourself. It depends what point you are, because like right. if I'm plotting something or researching something, mm. going to work in the studio is fine. Because if I get waylaid by by some crisis or a friend or something, <laughs> mm. it's all right. But if I'm like I'm in a really delicate, sort of high level of concentration, tricky as hell rewrite yeah. at the moment. Yeah. And so at the moment I'm getting up 
like slugging coffee and just going straight to it. And do you, in your process, do you distinguish between plotting, research, writing, rewriting? Is there a conscious, which is different to the way you talked about writing that face, in, or it, even Tusk Tusk? It's not so much, you know, like, oh, this week I blocked to do the X, Y, and Z. You yeah. sort of know when you need to do a bit of it. It's more that they feel like very physically different experiences. Like, I know that if I'm plotting, I'm a, quite dyslexic and I'm quite visual. So I, I kind of like, I, I really struggle at a certain point with looking at this, it on a screen. So yeah. I have to print it all out and I have to get kind of like, like blue tack and I have to like I pin this, pin it everywhere because huh. I have to see it in its all its links yeah. and that can be 30 pages and, mm. and then I have to move stuff around and I was doing a bit of that today um, but only with 10 pages so it yeah. was sort of dealable with but it feels physically different like when you're kind of getting in you're getting into the engine of it then I need space like I can't do that in a library or a cafe I need yeah. to be in a like a studio or my house yeah. and if it's sort of more intensely, intensely writing, then I, I can't, if it's like brand new work, I can't have too much distraction between getting up and doing it. I've got to like, otherwise you start to doubt it. I love the image of you. It's like you're crystallising experience into a shape, which then you kind of hone into language. Mm. And then you give out to other people. It's like a kind of <laughs> breath. You know, kind of, you know, it's really... Kind of, really, yeah. Yeah. The... Um, uh, do you recognise yourself in your plays? I find the strangest thing, do you find this, where... And it happens every time, and every time I'm like, this is so weird. Where you work on the draft furiously. And I, I generate a lot of material. Mm -hmm. You know, like this... Rudy, that's disgusting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, in this, the play I'm writing at the moment, I've been writing for two years so far, mm -hmm. and I've... I've written uh, maybe two or three separate drafts set now. I've now written a draft set 100 years ago in Europe. I've now written a draft set 100 years ago in America. Like, I mean, mm. I've written almost five plays for a play. Wow. And so... And I kind of, like, I just sort of go into a kind of rabbit hole and I just do it. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's like... At times, it's really not very fun. Do you know what I mean? It, it's you sort of feel yeah. like you're doing battle, mm -hmm. like in there, sort of ah, just yeah. wearing leggings, <laughs> no makeup, just kind of covered in dog and, and, and ink, <laughs> and and then you kind of come up and sorry, and then answer to do you recognise yourself in some yeah. other place? I sometimes don't even recognise I've done it. It's really weird. Wow. And then I'll like I'll write a whole draft, and then I'll go and I'll, I'll come back and I'll look at it and I'll be like. That's so it like hardens. Yeah. It, it becomes separate to you, in this way that it just did. It's weird. I don't know if I'm explaining it right. It feels really other suddenly. Yes. And you're like, just you feel really separate from it. Yeah. And you're like, when did that happen? You, obviously, <laughs> you know, you know that you sat down and you wrote it. Yeah. But you get so in the rabbit hole that you don't really realise you are. And, the, and then later, like, you talk about uh, preparing hotel for publication. Is that for a collection or something? Or? No, no, it just, it, um, I, really frustratingly, as happens quite often, it's that thing where the actual draft yeah. that actually is the correct version of the okay, play. cool. With the wrong, you know, when it goes to, yeah. it goes to press before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So actually, the version of Hotel that's out in the world at the moment has the wrong ending. So the, and well, so then it ran out when that's all been sold. I was very insistent on on changing the ending on and getting the correct, the correct published ending. But what? Uh, so um, what I was thinking about was returning to old plays. Do you identify patterns? Uh, uh, you know, things which in the mm. the way you talk about the writing is an unconscious process. When it comes reading the play, it comes to reading the plays years later, are the things you recognise there? I think with a yeah, I think with a bit of distance, I I can see that sibling love yeah has been a, in the my four plays I've written mm. are, are huge. It's huge. It's considered with it's it's treated with great reverence. The way you talk about your sister, yeah, even I'm unconsciously, very close to my sister, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's treated with a sort of reverence. Like, they are... And again, in Hotel, and this is never set out to do this in any of the plays on purpose, mm. but in Hotel it is, again, it's the, la the last image is a brother and a sister yeah. deciding whether or not to shoot somebody. And 
and the last image of Hotel as two brothers alone on stage. Yeah. And, and it, it, the, these are the things that survive. Mm. Mm. And it's interesting that in my new play, which is different in many ways, it seems to almost, I don't know, it's hard to explain. No, I'm too close to it to say because that might change. But mm. it, yeah. I've just, I noticed that now, that that's something that's really strong in all of them. And at the time, I couldn't have told you that. When you were talking about your dad, uh, I was put in mind that my dad died a week after being told that Heron's was going to be produced here. And it's a, this is a shared experience yeah. that the, the, our fathers who were important never to us in different ways never saw the plays. Do you, do you, your gallery, is, is your gallery named after him? Yeah. yeah? So yeah, he's yeah. still present in your thinking and your... Oh, completely, yeah. completely. And actually a dear friend of mine lost um, their mother very suddenly, very recently. Yeah. I was sort of having a conversation with her and it's amazing when you're, you sort of see that raw grief that you're some distance from now, but yeah. and she said, she said, you know, will I feel all right? And I thought it was important to answer it honestly, yeah. even given uh, how recent the event was. And I said, you sort of, you will feel all right, but it will never be all right. No. And I think that's the best way you can describe it. And I think that. Yeah, I think that's right. But I wonder if maybe we have this in common. I wonder if because you're almost. You almost want the place to be so good and so strong and so powerful that they almost, I don't know, he, he almost could see them. Does that make sense? <laughs> it makes a good, huge amount of sense. Yeah, in a strange way. Yeah. I think there's maybe, you know, maybe it gives you a motor. You've talked about how hard you find writing. It's really hard. <laughs> is it hard writing? It's is really it hard. Like, hard. It gets harder. Is it hard writing for screen? Is it hard directing? Is it, or is it just Love writing directing. for theatre? Is it, is it writing for theatre that's the hard thing? I think writing for theatre is well. I mean, like, what I mean, this is tricky, isn't it? Because you can have one shot film, and you can have, yeah. you know, the sort of you know, one hundred and fifty scene play. But I think if you go for the average thing of the kind of, I don't know, I I I get maybe like more neoclassical as I get older. Like I like big long Scenes. one scene yeah. acts of continuous time, mainly because they're hard. Yeah. Like I like the like you well you have a restraint. And that yeah. feels sheer, like you're chewing something, which is great. But I think that it is... So I think in that style, like writing for continuous acts, continuous scene acts, yeah. I think is technically really fucking difficult. But I enjoy that. I think with film, obviously, because well, they're just they're so different. One's so, a visual medium and one's a but linguistic g- medium. Given, given the technical difficulty of it, why do you still... Do it. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Given the technical difficulty, I, I do you know the? I think one of the best bits ever is when you go and see your model box. <laughs> do you know when you get your model box? Yeah. I think that's like the four, well, five, I guess, with it going to um, the West End. Yeah. Um, I think those are like five of the best days of my life. Because it's I don't for people who don't know just in case. Oh yeah, sorry. So what happens the first day of rehearsal, the designer before, isn't it? uh, Well, for the writer it can be. Sometimes with me it's not. Early on in the rehearsal process or before the rehearsal Mm. process, the designer will present their ideas for how the play might be produced in a little box. It's like a little doll's house. (laughs) It's a doll's house. Yeah, Yeah. you can put the characters and move them around. Yeah, Yeah. it's like a mini, teeny, tiny (laughs) version of your set. Yeah, and I. I just wonder if maybe on some level I do it for that day. Because there's something that's just unbelievably mm. amazing about you've just been like building this like carousel of sort of this structure, this invisible thing in your mind of such detail and such, it's like a building yeah. with people in it. And then you come and you get taken to a room and someone goes, you know what you were trying to do? Yeah. Here's the real tiny version of it. Yeah. And you can hold it, and you're like, I, I don't know. It, it, it feels really beautiful <laughs> that you can think this thing, and then it is, and then someone builds it, and then that. And that, I suppose what's so significant about that moment, what I find just unbelievably exciting, is that then that box, the moment you see a box like that, you don't get the box, and the little model box means it's happening. 
You don't get like there's no pretend model boxes, and also they mm. don't let you fucking keep them because they're so expensive, <laughs> yeah. and the little like they have to recycle all the little chairs and stuff. It's always yeah. really upsetting because you're never allowed to keep it. Yeah. But the box means they're going to build a big thing that you can stand inside of that was in your mind. Then you are going to stand and you can stand on the stage inside the thing you imagined, and then one day you're going to sit and you're going to watch people. It, it, it's that you can. It's like it's magic. It's like it's actual. It is the closest thing I can think of to actual magic, <laughs> art, I guess. So that I think maybe that's why I do it for that moment where you're like, oh, I can make something real if I think it. Polly Stenham, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening to the Royal Court Theatre Playwrights Podcast. If you'd like to listen to more, then make sure you subscribe at royalcourttheatre.com or on iTunes to get the next episode. You can purchase many of the plays discussed here, all of the plays discussed here, at royalcourttheatre.com forward slash shop or come into the bookshop uh, at the theatre in Sloan Square. Come to the theatre, come and see the plays. Follow us on Twitter at Royal Court. Follow me on Twitter at Stephen Simon and tune in next week to next week's Royal Court Theatre Playwrights podcast. Uh, I'm Simon Stevens. Have a brilliant week. Thank you very much for listening. See you later. Ta-ra.